You're listening to The Ragged Edge. I'm Richard Stone. It's important for young girls and young kids of color to see people who look like them either serving in office or serving in public facing positions, whether that's working for an elected official or, you know, at the, the big business in town or wh- whatever it is. I think it's it's really being intentional and deliberate about bringing people into your enterprise and not relying on the same old faces. My guest this week is Amy Everhart. My friends in Taylor know her mostly as one of the co-owners of the Texas Beer Company and as mother to Hayes and Reed. But she's also a veteran of local policy and politics. She served as a senior advisor to Austin Mayor Steve Adler and Lee Leffingwell and has had a 20-year career crisscrossing the country working for Democratic candidates, the Sierra Club, and the ACLU. She currently serves as the chief of staff to Austin City Council member Paige Ellis. Our conversation took place the night of the Georgia Senate runoff, and we had absolutely no idea that the next day would see what amounted to an insurrection or an attempted coup in Washington. Had our conversation taken place any later, it's likely it would have had a completely different tenor. We'll get to that conversation in a moment, but first, this. Ragged Edge is sponsored in part by RTS Connect, a small consulting company with decades of experience explaining complex issues to the general public. Words matter. Message matters, especially for those who work at the intersection of public policy and public relations. RTS Connect. Make your point. Stay on point. Info at rtsconnect.org. Amy Everhart, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad that you're here. The the first thing I really wanted to talk about uh, and why I asked you on the show is to talk about women in politics and minorities in politics. But before we get into that, uh, your last big project, not the one you're on right now, but your last big project was an election campaign or or a re-election campaign, I guess, in Austin. How did that go? So I was the uh, campaign director for Jimmy Flanagan in Austin he was a he was running for re-election on the Austin City Council in District 6, which is um, the only district in Austin that straddles both Travis and Williamson counties. Um, so it's about 50% of the voters are in each county. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a widely misunderstood corner of Austin, you know, because it's it's the bluest part of Williamson County, but the reddest part of Travis. You know, John Busey represents the area and... It's generally a blue area, but it's very conservative. And uh, so we were leading heading into the runoff with 41%. And then we lost the runoff, uh, (sighs) which was pretty stunning and uh, not at all what I (laughs) thought would happen. But, you know, it, it pretty much, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this over the last, it was three three weeks ago tonight. And so I've sort of been going through the autopsy in my head and it really... I think comes down to putting aside how much work we did on 
in the field and everything. We spent a ton of money on field. We knocked all the doors. We did everything we could in terms of grassroots organizing. But Jimmy is an unapologetic progressive. Mm -hmm. He was the leader in the um, reimagining public safety effort in Austin. And a lot of people call that defunding the police. Homelessness is a big issue in Austin, obviously, right now. And a lot of that is visible in District 6 because 183 runs right through the middle of District 6 and a lot of homeless camps are um, under those bridges. So it's very visible. And then you add to that the fact that um, the the conservative part of Travis um, that I referred to, which is mostly River Place and the very wealthy enclaves that are kind of on the lake, there were a few zoning cases that council had to deal with that Jimmy upset some of the neighbors in with his votes on some of those on some of those cases. So, you know, kind of coupled with a, a very motivated um, NIMBY faction, not in my backyard faction, coupled with the sort of leftward shift a lot of people see on the Austin City Council. I think he was just sort of the, you know, the scalp that the conservatives really wanted and they got it. It just kind of got wrapped around the axle for him, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did the best we could. And I just think that there were more conservatives there than than progressives. Um, you know, there were two Austin City Council runoffs at the same time. And the other one was District 10, which is West Austin and parts of Northwest Hills. But they were able to hang on and get more Democrats out than Republicans. And it just didn't work out the same way for us. How did you get into politics? So my dad uh, was a capital correspondent for the Associated Press in Connecticut. Really? And so as, yeah, as a, as a kid, he would take me to the Capitol and I just loved going there. I loved being there, you know, in the, in the Connecticut Capitol, the um, press room is way up, like close to the dome. So way up in the attic, just such a cool place to be. So, you know, I met the governor when I was a kid and, um, you know, just kind of grew up around it. My mom is a nurse. And so she was a labor and delivery nurse. So she delivered babies. And so, you know, public service is kind of in my blood. And I just always felt strongly about um, injustice, I guess. Uh, you know, I've always had a, had a lot of empathy as a kid and felt bad for other kids who were being bullied. And I just sort of sensed that as a as a young kid. And, and my parents, I have two siblings as well, two younger siblings. And we sat around the dinner table every night talking about anything that was happening. And so I just was kind of bred that way. And then my first job out of college was at the state capitol in Connecticut, working for the House Democratic Caucus. Um, I was the clerk of what's called the screening committee, which meant whenever bills were ready to go to the floor, I would check that they were ready to go and then send them to the floor. Um, so I worked a session and then I got a job after the session. I interviewed with uh, Jason Stanford, who you know. I do know and Jason Stanford. In fact, I'm going to have his wife on the show here in a couple of weeks and we're going to talk about Star Trek. So there's a little promo okay. for here a couple of weeks <laughs> from now. Her future on Mars. Yeah. Well, she doesn't know that's going to be part of the conversation unless she listens oh, yeah, to this she podcast. Does. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she always gets asked about that. So I interviewed with 
Jason. And at that point, I was actually living in Maryland. Yeah, the relationship I was in at the time took me to Maryland. And so I interviewed with Jason. I worked from home for a while and we did opposition research for candidates all over the country. So mostly congressional races. So I traveled all over the country, would plop down in a state for two weeks and go through their uh, tax rolls and voting records and all the all the things in rural Missouri and stuff. And then I'd spend the next four weeks writing a report and then I'd hand that over to the campaign and they would take it or leave it, basically. Uh, so I did that for four years and Ian actually was an intern at that firm. And uh, so... I moved down to Austin eventually to be at the headquarters and that's where I met Ian and, uh, you know, that's where it all started. (laughs) And the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that that I do want to talk about a little bit is, is just in broad general terms, women in politics, um, minorities in politics. Mm -hmm. And, and I think the way to kind of get into that is what do you say to young people who have kind of an interest in it? How do you get them interested in it? How do you sell it? I think it's important to make it relevant to their lives. A a perfect example is Gerald Anderson, a local city council person here in Taylor. He was frustrated with what was happening in Taylor, just sick of getting shit on by the city and the county. And, you know, his neighborhood just continued to get, you know, bulldozed and junk left everywhere. And he he started to get involved with the council by, you know, just trying to go through the right channels, right? Like the, the city avenues that, that are offered to you, he would go through them, nothing would happen, etc. And so, you know, at some point, he just kept complaining. And Ian and I would say, well, you know, you should really run like you, you represent that district really well, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I think it's really about showing people that they can make a difference. One of my very close friends, Emmy Ruiz, is about 10 years younger than me and just got appointed today. I as saw the White that. House Isn't that killer? Yeah. So she's, I know. So she's one of my very good friends. And um, it was a great text to wake up to today. She's someone who's much younger than I am, but represents that generation. She's the child of farm laborers and just has it, it really, I think, is just making the personal, the political. Yes. Yeah, so the next time you get a text from Amy, you can say, oh, wait a minute. I have a I have a call from the White House. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So she's a young, you know, Latina from Harlingen, Texas. And uh, it's really just connecting dots for people. And showing them that it matters. And when they when they try to make the argument that their vote doesn't matter or whatever, I think you just really it's the small steps that get people inspired. In the interim, one of the one of the gigs you held was some position with the mayor of Austin. You were on his staff at one point. Mm -hmm. What did you what did you do for Steve Adler? Right. Yes. I worked for two mayors in Austin. Uh, I was with Mayor Leffingwell from from the beginning of his term. So when he was elected in 2009, I came in as his policy director and stayed with him for pretty much his whole tenure uh, and then left for a couple of years to do some consulting and then came back when Steve Adler needed a, I was sort of a liaison between his office and the rest of the council, but I also did communications work. So it was a, I was the director of public affairs for Adler and the policy director for 
laughing well. Uh, how how did that go for you? How, like, how was the experience? Or yeah. How did it well, start? the experience okay. and, you know, this. what did you learn yeah. from that? What did you learn from that? Especially so, especially Adler, because Adler, wasn't he the first mayor to serve? Uh, uh, 10-1. Yeah, with the yeah. expanded council? Correct. Let me start with Leffingwell, because there's a couple things that I, a couple of issues that I worked on under him that I, it just was so satisfying to work on issues that, that matter and then doing the research and doing the work and finding the budget and, and making those into law. So one of them was the plastic bag ban, which of course has been overturned by the state of Texas. So Lee was the chair of the environmental board when he got he had been. He was a council. He was the chair of the environmental board, then a council member, then mayor. So that was one of the things, you know, clean creeks were a big deal to him. And so that was one of his signature issues. And of course, that's been turned over. Uh, but the second one was after I had Reed, my son, who's now nine. I had no paid leave except for whatever sick leave and vacation time that I had accrued. You can apply for short-term disability, which is funny word for someone who's just had a baby. We're, we're in but Texas, yeah, so there you go. Right. You can, you can apply for it, but it doesn't kick in for six weeks. So, you know, as you know, when you have a baby, the, you know, <laughs> the worst thing that can happen is that you lose income because you have to buy things like diapers and formula and all the things, cribs, car seats, all the things. So I used my personal experience with that to then work with other council offices, our HR department and the city management to get paid sick leave for all city employees in Austin for those first six weeks. Um, that's one of the things I'm most proud of um, is getting paid sick leave for parents, not just mothers, but fathers, gay, straight, adoption, all of it Whatever is it covered. Great. So that was my experience with Lee. It was just more of a like, he gave us the staff a wide leash or a long leash to pursue policies that we thought were worthy and we would make the case to him and he would say yes or no and we would do it. Then after he left office, of course, our form of government didn't change, but the the way we are represented changed. So there's now 10 um, single member districts in Austin and one mayor. And previously it had been seven at-large members. So Austin was one of the last cities in the South to be to run the way they did with seven at-large members. So so the voters voted for the 10-1 system as it's known. And Mayor Adler was elected mayor and he was seen as sort of a middle of the road consensus type of candidate. His opponents were um, Mike Martinez and Cheryl Cole, who <laughs> had previously served on the council. And it was just clear that voters wanted a change and a new face to represent the new the new way forward, which was his slogan. So with him, you know, he really brought a new way of thinking to the way the council does its work. He really wanted to empower each council member to take the lead on, on things that were happening in their districts. And there was a big fear that we would into ward politics and be arguing over no money and dollars in certain neighborhoods. But largely that has not happened. There are, of course, land use and zoning cases that are contentious all over the city, but it really has not been a fight over who's getting what. You mentioned a couple things, the bag 
ban and, and a few other things. I wonder what you think about the current the the, the dichotomy over local control. It's really come to light in the pandemic when the governor would say things along the lines of, well, the local officials have every all the tools that they need to do something. But as soon as they enact something, he says, no, you can't do that. And and obviously, he's really hammering Austin, you know, because El Paso did the exact same thing a month ago that Austin was trying to do over the New Year's weekend. And, and that's just one example of how the state will say things in one, in one way, right? The local government's the best, blah, 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 and then turn right around and say, but you can't do that. Where do you think the legislature is going to go? And how do you think cities can fight back in this regard? You're involved in Austin, so you're, invo- you're, you're really on the front lines, quite frankly, because everything the legislature does when it comes to cities, they do it to Austin first. Usually. Right. And not only that, but they write the bills so that it targets cities with a population of between 800,000 and 1.1 million. So it only targets Austin. So, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of experience uh, with both mayors having to work with or (laughs) lobby the the ledge. She used air quotes, audience. (laughs) I was going to say to work with the legislature, but we know how that goes. I mean, so in Austin, you know, as Rick Perry famously said, Austin is the blueberry in the tomato soup. We're just an easy punching bag. And then when you've got very progressive, you know, even Democratic Socialist council members, um, it's, it, it makes it even easier to beat up on Austin. I think the way, you know, the um, revenue caps that were were put in place last session were obviously very constraining. I don't want to use the word crippling necessarily because I feel like Taylor and Austin have both figured out ways to work through it. But well, you know, it remains to be seen. Ultimately, they left public safety intact. So you can still raise taxes and and pay for public safety. You just can't pay for all the other things like libraries and parks and all the amenities that keep our community healthy. So, you know, we'll see. Now I'm serving as the chief of staff to a council member in Austin and we'll you know the the session's about to start and it'll we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be tough. And then the other obviously added layer on that is the pandemic and whether the ledge is meeting in person and how do we testify and all these different things. So Right. I, I'm hoping to see actually I'm supposed to talk to Scott Braddock on uh, Friday. And so listeners who will be my guest next week um, saw his tweet this morning about the constraints that Patrick has made on reporters on the Senate floor. And of course Scott is like like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I mean, the the crackdown on journalists is just outrageous. I mean, it's just insanity. Again, having grown up with a with a reporter for a dad, it's just it's astounding what they will do. What's keeping you up at night these days? What actually keeps you up at night is 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 rehashing the election I just lost, oh. and then <laughs> watching the. Um, Watching the results of Georgia tonight. Yeah, where are we? I don't know. I I, I can see the TV, but I can't see it well enough. Kornacki's not talking loud enough, I know. Yeah, no, I think how to, you know, when you go back and look at numbers after an election, it's like, oh my God, we could have, you know, there was this batch of votes here we could have gotten, there was this here. It's just, it's all, you know, I just go through that stuff in my head. Um, but, you know, in, in the in the bigger picture, I, I, I think it goes back to one of the questions you asked earlier. How do we get 
women and people of color to run for office. Uh, Amy, it's not just run for office. It's involved in the process. Yeah. Uh, Because the sausage making component of of government, the policy making component of government is not necessarily elective. It's the staffers. It's the people who are chief of staff. It's the people Mm -hmm. who are the policy directors. Uh, That's that's where the the rubber meets the road. No, that's it. That you you were saying that it's important not just to run for office, but to get involved, get involved in the process. Um, And you're absolutely right. Um, I think having a pipeline from um, high school, frankly, not just college to into public service is is incredibly important. It's important for young girls and young kids of color to see people who look like them either serving in office or serving in public facing positions, whether that's working for an elected official or, you know, at the the big business in town or whatever it is. I think it's, it's really being intentional and deliberate about bringing people into your enterprise and not relying on the same old faces. To go back to my friend, Emmy, who's working at the White House now, you know, I, I sit here in Austin I am working in, in local government. She is working at the highest level you can get when you're someone like me. And, and it just makes me be like, what am I doing with my life? But then it's like, well, I'm making a difference right here on the ground in my community, in, in the town I live in and in the big city that's just down the road. And it, you know, and I still get to play with my kids and, you know, have a comfy life. So, Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that comfy life, uh, uh, I asked a couple of fans to suggest a question or two. Okay. Uh, and question that kind of rose to the top was, how are Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden good role models for your kids? <laughs> hmm, I wonder where this question came yeah, from. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to dump him in the grease. You can figure that out on your own. That is so funny. Uh, yeah, Ian is still sore that the Mets beat the Astros in 86. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's funny. Yes, I grew up with with the two of them as my role models, my favorite players. So what can I say? Uh, the I mean, well, well, here's here's the counterpoint to that is the Astros are now being groomed as my kids role models. And, and what what do we say about our Astros these days? Mm, yeah, I mean, I get it. <laughs> I get <Yeah>. that. <laughs> so so uh, cheating one way or the other, but it's still fun to watch. Good luck with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> what question am I forgetting to ask? So you mentioned earlier about getting involved and, and getting involved in um, how, do, how do kids get involved or younger people get involved. So moving to Taylor, I saw that the faces of the city council, when, when I moved here, there were no women on the council. Then Christine Lopez was elected and then she decided not to run again. And, and now again, there are no women on the council. It's a diverse town. So we do well with racial representation um, on the council, but not gender. And then on the boards and commissions, you know, I've tried several times to apply for a border commission and and they're full or they're whatever. And it's just, it's just hard for a regular person who wants to get involved to, to figure out sort of a, a system that's been in place for so long. So that's a question, not necessarily for me, but like for, for us to ponder as a community is, is how do we really change the way we do things or. That's a good point. We had a, a, a young woman who ran for a school board this last time around. Right. And 
and you could tell in the interview and the 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 chamber and the paper did a Facebook live stream where they asked all the candidates questions and you could you could see this 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 individual's passion right but you could also see this individual's inexperience if somebody wants to do something in a public policy role whether it's elective office or move on in that what should they be doing so what what they should do is is get to know their local elected officials so whether it's city council members or our wonderful state rep James Tallarico or um, you know our, it depends which persuasion you are but Senator Schwartner as well they're all willing to take kids for tours of the Capitol or have them serve as a as a page for a day in one of the one of the houses or you know get an internship so I think I think it's really just um, making that first spark as as happened to me as a kid and in, in going to the Capitol and just seeing the majesty of of what happens um, you know I took Nikoye Gerald's daughter with me to um, City Hall when I was working in the mayor's office and, you know, she got to sit in the mayor's chair on the dais and she still talks about that, you know? So it, it just shows if you're a parent, you know, get to know people like me who are involved and can show your kids how they can make a difference. And, and I'll put my own personal experience in there. I, I When I was a uh, senior in high school, this is going to age date me, I guess, uh, was when the state of Texas was going through its constitutional convention, which has been 1973-74. My state representative out of Belton put me on the start in the sergeant at arms office. So I spent the second semester of my senior year watching the constitutional convention as a sergeant at arms. That's awesome. It, it was absolutely awesome, except that I spent 90% of my time licking stamps and envelopes, but that's a whole other story. But that's part of the process. That's, it is part of right. the magic. I, I, you know, it's funny that you say that because a lot of, um, I feel like there's a session, but also a reality of younger people, you know, millennials or Generation Z. There's a perception of them that they shouldn't have to lick the stamps and they shouldn't have to, you know, they've, they've leapfrogged that, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you, everybody has to start somewhere. Everybody has to pay their dues and whether it's folding letters as a campaign volunteer or, or standing there in the Sergeant at arms office, um, it, that spark gets lit. Somewhere. Everybody has to lick the stamps. That's right. <laughs> There's your episode title. That's it. That may be it. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, thank you so much. This thank has been you, delightful. This has been delightful. All right, cool. Uh, I am so looking forward to the day that we can all go back to the beer company, have a beer, and hug each other. Me too. I mean, we cannot wait. I am. And we didn't even get into the whole beer is apolitical thing. And that's a whole other. That's right. uh, I may talk to Ian about that later. Um, Yeah. But um, it is. It is. Thank you so much. Let's go back to CNN. Let's go back to CNN or to MSNBC and see what Steve Kanaki is saying. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Good night. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank my guest, Amy Everhart. A reminder, you can find The Ragged Edge on Apple Podcasts or wherever you look for shows like this. If you like the show, rate it and review it. Every positive review helps listeners find us, and, well, we like that. The Ragged Edge is a production of RTS Connect, where public-facing organizations will find help to make their point, then stay on point. Info at rtsconnect.org. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Digital Broadcasting. Join Black Sparrow's Patreon and give these wonderful free-range DJs a boost. Patreon.com slash Black Sparrow. Opinion expressed on the Ragged Edge are those of the speakers and now don't necessarily reflect those of KBSR. Original music composed and performed by Ryan Stone. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Ragged Edge. See you next week. Thank you.
Thank you.